Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. L.A. Marzulli with us. L.A., let's talk a little bit about the Nephilim, of course, the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of Earth. Now, who were the sons of God? Well, this is a question which has uh, you know, created great controversy for thousands of years. Sure. But in my opinion, the sons of God are uh, the fallen angels. And this all hails back to Genesis 3.15, which is, when I use that, that's just the first book in the Bible. It's the beginning. So it's just, a, it's just an address that, that you can go to and read it for yourself. And basically it says that the seed of a serpent will be at enmity with the seed of the woman. He, someone from the seed of the woman, will crush the head of a serpent, and the serpent will strike his heel. It's a, it's a prophecy which is thousands of years old. We know that the seed of the woman culminates, in, and the fruition of that is in the, is in the birth of Messiah, which Christians believe happened 2,000 years ago, roughly. But the seed of the serpent erupts three chapters later. And if you were going to keep something really from, from the people of the world, this is what you would keep from them, because this outlines, literally, in my opinion, the rest of the biblical prophetic narrative. And this is what has been kept really apart from most of the people on the planet. I mean, I, and I'm not overstating this. Uh, the Book of Enoch, which is found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, quoted 70 times in the, in the, in the Tanakh, the, the, uh, the Old Testament, and also referred to in the New Testament, uh, talks about and amplifies this unholy union of the sons of God, these fallen angelic entities. They're doing it because they rule the planet, and they don't want to give it up. And they know that if they can somehow stop this, this entity, this someone who's coming, Messiah, who will crush the head of the serpent, if they can do that, then they'll win. That's what's at stake here. I'm actually working on yet another book about this, about the multiple incursions and how this has created, again, a, a lot of controversy. Some people believe that after the flood, the Nephilim didn't return, uh, or they came through the line of Ham. And the new book will talk about that, but I digress. But that briefly is what they are. And what's amazing about this, George, the remnants, the trail of the Nephilim is global. There's a fingerprint mm-hmm. of the supernatural of these entities are everywhere. They may have In built the opinion, pyramids. Well, that's that's another question. Let, let me let me ask you this: There are, I think, either three or four. Uh, they're very large stones, the size of railroad cars. They're granite. They come from Aswan, 500 miles away. These stones line the roof of the king's chamber in the Great Pyramid. You cannot cut granite. In the Neolithic, 3,000 years ago, or 4,000 years ago, when the pyramid was allegedly built, you can't cut granite with copper chisels. And how did they move them from Aswan, 500 miles away? Never mind the math and, and everything else that is embedded in the pyramid, because it's eight-sided, not four, because of, of the concave. But anyway, but <laughs> those granite blocks, just focus in on those. Mm-hmm. You tell me, show me how it was done. And that's why, and, and getting back to the mound builders, that's the archaeologists said that Native Americans did this with, with primitive tools. So we hired a flint napper, and he went out there, and he dug, and we showed on film what this is like, 25 million single buckets. And the whole theory begins to collapse when you drill, oh in, my it, God. drill in on it, yep. in my opinion. It sure does. You have sent Lex a picture 
of a six-fingered skeleton photo. We've got it up in the first spot at the carousel reel at coasttocoastam.com. Tell us a little bit about this. It's in the film, and the reason why I put it in the film, it was found on Catalina Island, and I I had access to the archives uh, from the Ralph Glidden archives. Glidden was a primitive archaeologist who's been, you know, maligned by by mainstream archaeologists today, a little more than a grave robber. Okay, I get it. And I'm, you know, I'm not trying to defend Ralph Glidden, but what I was interested in was the cache of records, because it comes from 1919 they were, to 1921, when he was employed by the Hay Museum. The Hay was later gobbled up by the Smithsonian. So it's, 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 it's a treasure trove of information, and I got access to that, and I found photographs which were unbelievable. That is a six-fingered skeleton. You can count the fingers for yourself, and you can see that the thumb is just a little, a little bit away from the hand. But those, those are all long fingers. There's no thumb that is shown there, but the, the thumb has been detached. That, that skeleton, by the way, is just under nine feet or around nine feet long. Uh, we, we had several Jeez. people analyze that skeleton. Goliath. Based on, based on the artifact in front of it, it's about nine feet. The reason why it's there is because Native American people from Maine to California talk about red-haired, six-fingered, cannibalistic giants that they had to fight. Now, let me ask you this about the Nephilim. If they were the offspring of fallen angels, who weren't the chosen ones by any means, does that mean they've been seeded with some kind of evil, the Nephilim? The Nephilim, in my opinion, are in a fixed state, absolutely in a fixed state. And I believe that they are um, irredeemable because, first of all, they have no soul. They're in a fixed state, and they have no soul. What's interesting, there's another prophetic scripture which talks about, this, this happens thousands of years, written thousands of years after the Genesis narrative, but it talks about that in the later days, very enigmatic, very enigmatic scripture, very cryptic. It says, in the latter days, their seed will mingle with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave to them. What the heck is that? Yeah. It can't be the seed of men mingling with the seed of men. That makes no sense. And what we're looking at again is the mischief of the fallen angels, as my friend Chuck, the late Chuck Messer would, would say. And this, it goes back to the Genesis 6 narrative. This is why the Genesis 3.15 scripture is so imperative for us to come to grips to. And under, this sets up the rest of the deal into modernity. This is, it, it, hails, it, it dovetails into our work with the abduction phenomena that we did with Dr. the late Dr. Roger Lear, the implants, the hybrids, which we show in, in, in one of our films, um, this is ongoing, George. This is ongoing. Hybrids are real. Dr. J- David Jacob would, uh, would con- um, back me up on that 100%. They are real. There's a breeding program going on. And what's amazing about it, all of this is spelled out loud and clear in the biblical prophetic narrative. Does that mean there's DNA of the Nephilim somewhere in humans today? I don't know about humans. But our work on the Kandahar Giant and Steve, Steve Quell's work on the Kandahar Giant uh, prove that something is going on here. Uh, there's a bas-relief, which I have in my new studio. I blew it up. And it's, it's, it shows uh, Egyptians fighting this huge giant, which is probably at least 10 feet tall. And there's just a bunch of dead Egyptians at this guy's feet. One of them is holding a spear. He's leaning back trying to kill the thing. And the giant is just like towering over him. Look, this is a reality. This has been here. But because of a Darwinian paradigm, 
which insists that there is no supernatural. All this has been deliberately obfuscated from the public. And so the new series, On the Trail of the Nephilim, the first installment of that, Mound Builders, Mysterious Mound Builders, I mean, we, we really drill into it. And the, and the second uh, installment, which I'm editing now, it goes even deeper into the embedded mathematics, which are there in the mound, and there's no way that stuff can be there, but it's there. How many mounds are there worldwide? What do you think? Thousands. 10,000 alone in Ohio. 10,000 mounds in Ohio. And then you start going down to Mississippi, and thank God we have Squire and Davis in the, in the uh, mid-19th uh, century went out and began to uh, survey these mounds, and that's why we have a record of many of them. And when we start looking at them, I remember when I was in Ohio and I went to the Great Circle Mounds for the first time, and I just sat there with my jaw on the ground going, wait a minute, what am I looking, what is this? Why get up on a Monday morning and build something like this? But, you know, as, as, we, as we delve into in, in the film, some of these sites, George, can only be appreciated from the air. The That's only way you can see Like it Nazca and Peru, same kind of thing. Same kind of thing. The Serpent Mound in, in, in near Peebles, Ohio. I've been there three different times. We filmed there a bunch of times. We went with Fritz Zimmerman and filmed there, and we were there at the spring equinox. And we flew the drone. I flew my drone way up and got great shots of it. But when you're there, you can't really, you don't know what you're looking at. And they even erected a, a two-and-a-half-story or, or two lookout tower, observation tower. And you climb to the top of that, you kind of look out. Yeah, you can kind of see it, but you really can't appreciate it. No. You get the drone up a couple hundred feet. It looks like a snake. It pops out. Yeah, it look, awesome. looks like a huge snake all over the place. It's an undulating serpent. And it's also tied into the lunar... Um, lunar procession, 18 and a half year lunar cycle, the solstices, the equinox. And with all due respect, Native Americans knew about some of these things, but they didn't, they didn't travel on this thing. And when you, and this is what I mean by the managed agenda. When you go there now, there's signage saying that the Shawnee built it. Chief Joseph comes on the record and he, and he gives me the, the link back to the chief of the Shawnee who states unequivocally that while the Shawnee uh, respected the serpent mound and, and, and kind of, sort of like was a caretaker of it. Mm -hmm. In no way did they build it. So who are we going to believe? Right. You know, now, in the, tradition? the official narrative for these mounds says that they're burial grounds. What do you think? Some of them are. Many of them are not. Uh, the Great Circle Mound, for instance. I mean, are there Native American bones and skeletons in these things? Some of them are. Again, Native Americans would go in and sometimes use the mounds for burials. So we know that that happened. But when you, when you go back into the record and you start reading um, some of what was, what was coming out of the mounds, copper armor, six fingers, some of these things were 9, 10, 12 feet tall. They were huge, red hair. All this stuff was being reported. And then the Smithsonian would come in, get the evidence, and then it would just kind of disappear. So when you talk to people about it, uh, talk to archaeologists, talk to docents. They, they look at you and they laugh because they've come up through a system which goes against all of this. So they're just parroting what they learned in school. But when you ask them, well, has anyone actually taken a hoe, a flint hoe, and gone out and said just how long it takes to dig a basket of earth? How long would it take? 25 million single buckets to build Poverty Point, which is smaller than Cahokia. Poverty Point... Unless you have 25 million people doing it. <laughs> well, there you go. Which isn't going to happen. Maybe 3 million people. These are hunter-gatherers, 
And not only that, in Ohio, George, you know, you only got about seven months out of the year where you can dig. They, they probably the had 200 people tops working on these projects, I would guess. They didn't have I a lot guess, of people. Yeah, they don't. And, and this is, it, when you really start drilling into it, it really becomes problematic. And in the second film, we talk about the mathematics that are embedded in these sites and the fact that many of them are in an 18 and a half year lunar cycle. And I'll just, I'll just tip my hand a little bit. We hired a surveyor to go into the Great Circle Mound in Ohio. This thing's about 1,200 feet uh, in diameter. And there's a moat in the, in the inside. That's why it's a hench. This moat is about six to eight feet deep. It's, I would say closer to eight. So we had the surveyor, Todd Willis, go in with his equipment. We wanted to find out how level the interior of the moat was. He said, and he said it on the record, it's, it's almost dead level, between six inches and a foot. And that's within, you know, uh, plus or minus because of the, uh, the, 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 basically the dirt for thousands of years and sediment and everything else were piling up at the inside of this thing. He was taken aback. And so I asked him, I said, how would you do this in antiquity? And again, we've got another level plaza. Some guy wrote me at the break, all you have to do is flood it with water. Well, how do you flood a 40-acre parcel with, with water? I mean, how do you, where's the manpower to do that? And where's the water coming from? Exactly, where's the water coming from? So, you know, when you start looking at this, it, the whole thing begins just to collapse. How did they do this? And, you know, Willis comes on the record as a surveyor, as an engineer, and he's looking at this, and he's, he's puzzled by what he sees. He's never, he's never had to do this with these, with these mounds. He's kind of scratching his head going, how did they do this? So it, it's very enigmatic, and I think that there's a hidden history. And what's amazing is that Native Americans, when asked, when the, when the early white settlers came into these places, they were asked, who built the mounds? And they stated, we don't know. They were built they were here when we got here. Were they landmarks, L.A.? What do you think they are? I think they're sites. They're, they're, um, well, let me back up. The Serpent Mount, for instance, you can only see it from the air. Right. And the serpent is in the act of swallowing an egg. And I've talked about this on your show before. But that hails back to the Genesis 315 narrative. No one has ever put that together. We put it together in the film. It's like, who is the prince of the power of the air? Why is the serpent trying to devour this egg? Because it's the seed of the woman. And this is, this is in your face, Genesis 3.15, screaming at you from, from near Peoples, Ohio, thousands of years old, which you can only see from the air. Who is the prince of the power of the air? The head of the fallen angels. So this stuff is like everywhere, George. It's all over the Americas, but it really follows the Mississippi down into the Gulf. Are they messages for us? left behind? Well, I mean, the 18-and-a-half-year lunar cycle, some of these things are incredibly deliberate. We know that human sacrifice is practiced at these sites. We know that some of these sites are highly charged. Some of these mounds are highly charged. What I mean by that, ritualistic sacrifice was done there. Uh, a blood was, was spilled on these sites ritualistically. So are they gateways? Are they portals? Um, that's conjecture on my part. I would say, yes, they are. I would say the Great Circle Mount, for instance, when that, when that was working, let's say, thousands of years ago, and that moat, that interior of that hinge was filled with water, and the Serpent Mound, 
the two serpent heads at the entrance were still intact. They're no longer there, but they were intact. And there were no trees because the whole thing was a level plaza. And on top of the Eagle Mound, that's when the sacrifices would be done. That place was, was charged. And as Fritz Zimmerman, um, who's just an incredible researcher and author, and he appears throughout these films, um, Fritz said, perhaps the water was to keep something in rather than let it out. So hmm. we've had, uh, you know, experiences there ourselves, which are uh, not of the good kind, let's say. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.